The Space God Memoirs. Season 2, Episode 29 The vital fluids poured from my body as it lay upon the metal-plated floor of Muntaki's secret lab, stabbed through the heart. The pain throbbed subtly, now distant, like it belonged to someone other than me. I was displaced, disconnected from my body, stuck in between alive and truly dead. I heard Manali's soft footsteps as she snuck back away, the valuable data in hand. All the pain of a moment ago was now utterly gone. I tried lifting myself up off the ground and it was easy enough, too easy. I jumped to my feet as if my entire form weighed nothing. Then I looked behind me and down at the floor, where my body lay, unmoving, its hands splayed out to the side, head rolled back and blood spilled out from the chest, pooling on the metal floor. There was a gaping wound in the body's chest cavity, the flesh cauterized by Manali's searing blade. The heart charred to nothing. Yeah, that probably wasn't a survivable wound. I felt oddly calm about it all, being that I was likely dead. No sense of terrible doom plagued my thoughts, just a mild annoyance. I had been so scragging close had gone down into this dumb, abandoned lab despite my best reservations, had talked to that hologram, had gotten the data, and was about to leave when that red girl appeared and one-shot killed me. Like the whole damn thing had been planned. Where had that Vare assassin gone? That little scragball. Her face lingered another moment in my mind. Manali of the shifting visage. Her round, impish face and big magenta eyes set amid a red complexion that reminded me of nothing more than some supple berry. She had just stabbed me and robbed me. But somehow that didn't feel like such a big deal. Who was she? I found myself wondering that as I gazed down at my own dead corpse. My recall fell upon the distant dreams of long ago, back when I had been a ruined scrapper living my last life on this world. The dreams, her lingering in the background and staring at me with those piercing, fiery eyes. Like I knew her, or else she had purposefully haunted my dreams like some succubus of lore. Maybe I had known her, in those memory-washed eons before this life, before the farm world veil had wiped them away. I was pulled from my musings by a sudden sound, a booming crash from above. My thoughts went to my companions. How are they doing up there against the so-called High God of Aruvis? I gave one more glance to my body, still motionless. Mentally, I gave the inert corpse a salute and a thank you. Then I looked upward and jumped, feeling my lighter-than-air form rising buoyantly, the same dreamy and yet distinct form I had when I was journeying through Aruvis's afterlife realms. I drifted towards those noises. My non-physical body ascended through the floor, 
phasing ghost-like through layers of cement and rock and metal, until I floated just above where the lab had been. Had been, because it was gone. The rectangular building reduced to numerous rubble piles that were scattered around the earthy cave, among dozens of red physar, their slime-mold bodies everywhere. My friends were still here, Zirathra and Jabir standing within a few yards of one another, looking weary, but neither of them obviously wounded. Damanya hovered a few feet in the air, her robed body surrounded in a nimbus of white light that matched the light shining in her eyes. Atop the largest of the rubble piles was the tall, lean figure of Lord Governor Gurvath, the so-called supreme god of Aruvus's pantheon. His arms were raised upward, his eyes glowing red in contrast to his night-black body. He looked somehow bigger than before, towering at over twice the height of any of my friends, his legs replaced with ropey black tentacles that clung tight to the rubble pile below. Above him hovered the husk of an old starship that I'd seen docked inside, probably weighing over a ton, just floating there and spinning with the movements of his fingers. Gurvath pointed one bone-thin hand towards where my companions were. The starship immediately hurtled towards them. Damanya, hovering in her silvery sphere, let loose a clear white beam from her heart area, striking the old ship and knocking it off its course. The vessel plummeted into a nearby crystal cluster, sending shards and debris across the area. Damanya remained in the air, but I could tell she was looking tired, a sigh escaping her lips. Jabir zoomed up to Gurvath, moving like a blur. In an instant, my reptilian friend was right up to him, a sharp claw in the air, ready to hack into the Vare Lord's throat. But a set of tendrils instantly sprang from Gurvath's side and wrapped themselves around Jabir's arms and legs, roping him in place. A second later, and Gurvath threw Jabir across the cavern. He struck the ground, falling into a roll. I watched as Jabir slowly rose to his feet, clearly in great pain, but alive. Then my attention was once more drawn to Gurvath. He was growing. His torso kept on getting higher and higher. The guy must have been at least 20 feet tall now, while his lower body was expanding into more and more clustered tentacles that grew out from the center like a budding plant. Scrag. I wish there was some way I could help them, but I was, uh, dead, probably. Zerathra looked backward, her violet eyes seeming to link with my own. I felt the subtle tingle there, a recognition. Could she see me? Before I could think to do anything else, Z turned back towards the ever-growing mass of Gurvath, his lower body expanding out like an inky soup across the cavern floor, little tendrils sprouting from the goo as it churned and spread. A few of those tendrils reached towards Z, one of them grasping around her ankle. A quick slash of her curvy sword was enough to hack it loose. As Gurvath continued to grow, Zirathra leapt for higher ground, ending up perched upon a stack of tall yellow crystals. Jabir soon joined her, both scampering out of the way of the Overgod's expanding mass. Demania remained hovering in the air, the field around her glowing with an even brighter white light, geometric patterns dancing upon its surface. My vision was beginning to blur. I could feel my hold on this place growing dimmer by the moment. Lord Gurvath's head was now an enormous polyp that stuck out from a stalk-like neck from the center of his masked body, his grim features glaring out at the cavern's other occupants. He must have filled at least half the cavern, as big as a small town. Zirathra looked to Demanya, 
who began to float closer to their crystalline cluster. The two women were signaling each other, communicating. They had a plan. Jabir flipped himself higher until he stood beside Zirathra atop the formation. One of Gurvath's black tentacles, now immense, began reaching towards where the three of them were gathered. Then my senses disconnected. The images and sounds of my friends battling Gurvath left me, fading off and transitioning into a blur of colors and lights that morphed and floated in my vision. Those colors, too, began to fade, transitioning to white, to gray, to black, and then to absolutely nothing. The void. The familiar void. Just like when I had sat in that chair in the Tower of Trials. It was nothing. No sensation. No body. Just me and my thoughts. Here I was again. 100% sure I was dead now. This place was the afterlife. Or at least the place you went to before experiencing what folks on Aruvis had called the overworld. It was an in-between kind of place. Or a not-place. As I stared into the abyssal void with my non-existent eyes, I kind of still wondered how it was all going down with Gurvath. Would Z and the others be able to beat him? Would they all soon be joining me here? I almost wished I could have been of more help. But instead, I was busy getting killed trying to accomplish a dumb mission we should have never proceeded with anyway. But apparently Savaharthas and the Scragging Council insisted on it. Or was Zirathra just passing the responsibility there? Well, whoever was at fault, I was dead. Soon enough, I might be sucked back into some phony afterlife simulation before I got cycled back down to Aruvis, again, to be reborn as a baby. Life after repetitive life. Would I forget it all? Or would a part of me recall that I had once risen above such an existence to walk among the gods? I wondered how it had all gone before, when I came to Aruvis the first time. Short flashes of memory appeared in my thoughts. The mysterious pilot, who had flown to Aruvis on a mission. He, or maybe me, had purposefully died on that mission. Why? Who had I been then? What were my goals? Was it all connected to the shift engine? To Doc Muntaki and even that bug lover, Minali? The memories were almost clear, like the recall of a vivid dream that rapidly departs on waking. I could almost tie it all together, but soon I realized that might not matter. Unlike at the tower, I could feel something else here, the darker than darkness, a pull. I was moving towards it. Moments later, I had a sensation of it, like the drag of gravity or a heavy suction. Then that sensation was joined by visuals, the faint outlines of a smooth tunnel passing around me as I slowly floated forward. At the end was a light, at first a pinpoint, but gradually growing brighter as I moved closer. With its glow came a warmth, a gentle touch, a welcome. This was different from before, but of course this time I hadn't sat in a chair designed to administer an ascension. I had just died on Aruvis. This was probably the normal process. I drew closer to the light. Beyond, shapes took form. Images came to me. The verdant terraces of the Vandras colony overlooking the green ocean, lit in a gentle sunlight. Its familiar mud-brick homes, the children's house, the berry fields. A small crowd was gathered, the figures of old friends and family, 
ready to welcome me home again. A surge of emotion, of longing came to me, a pull towards that place. A part of me yearned to go back there, even if that reality was ultimately fake. Rayleigh and Burge were both beside me, and I could feel the same from them. A homesickness for Aruvis, for old times and more pleasant days. A respite from the constant craziness of ascended awake life. No, the voice of Bakibra was clear in my mind. She wasn't ready to go back. Scrag, no. Not into that comfort, that illusion. And neither was I. Her strong presence shook me out of whatever emotional pull that portal had. Both Bakibra and I had gone through that bunch of crap together. We had work to do still. A mission. A purpose. However much I loved Aruvis, the world wouldn't be served by me getting sucked into some comforting afterlife dreamscape. I twisted sideways, mentally pulling myself away from the light and towards the tunnel's membrane. The light vanished from my vision. I felt a slight resistance as my non-physical body hit the side of the tunnel, and then I fell through into the darkness beyond. There I lingered, among the nothing once again. I briefly wondered if I had scragged up there. Had I made a mistake? Was this how you became a ghost? Would I end up in this stuck place, or back on Aruvis, haunting a desolate lab where I had died? As if in reaction to that thought, more sensations began to come to me. The feeling of touching the ground, of its stony, cracked contours running across my hands, the scent of dust and debris in the air, the distant sounds of rumbling, accompanied by voices that I couldn't quite hear. Yes, this was like before, when I had died in the tower, found myself in this void and then had to visualize my way back into some semblance of existence. I began to lean into those sensations, particularly the touch, the feel of the rubble under my fingers, the piles of broken laboratory buildings, the smooth, faceted, enormous crystals. Then the visuals came, faint outlines of that cavern beyond the lab, its occupants looking like silhouettes, the expanding mass of Lord Gurvath's enormous body dominating the view. Then the outlines became more solid, three-dimensional. Suddenly, it all popped fully back, the textures and colors splashing onto the scene. Movement, flailing tentacles, bodies running and dodging, sounds rushed back at me, but still distant. I was back there like it was a dream, the colors washed out, as I had no real body to experience them with. But chaos rushed around me. The squirming tentacles of Lord Gurvath wrapped around the great cavern, his face hovering in the center, enormous and leering, his mouth open in a scream of rage. I wondered if he could see me in this non-form. Then there was a hand reaching towards me, sky blue, surrounded in a bright glow. Zirathra. I was pulled towards her like we were two magnets. We linked, I felt a surge of disorientation, dragged alongside her, like I was lingering on the edges of her form, her awareness, but connected. The sights of the cavern flew by. I felt her running, floating on the atra across the air, pouncing between the huge crystal formations as she dodged the flailing black appendages. The Rathra reached our octahedron ship, where it was hidden behind a formation, on the upper reaches of the cavern. She darted through its open doorway, the others somewhere behind her. Not pausing to take a breath, she sat in the pilot's seat and immediately connected with it, pushing past any securities or greetings from the vessel. In an instant, the octo was up in the air and zipping away. 
I watched from my strange perspective, like I was perched atop her left shoulder, while the ship's view zoomed across flailing limbs the size of tree trunks, wrapping and twisting around the cavern. Blasting a single huge tendril aside, Zerathra's Octa plunged through an opening and up the chute leading out. She broadcast a command and the Octa performed a shift, the frequency I'd given it still in the vessel's memory. We coasted upward, towards the black skies of the other world, tinged with red clouds. For an instant the ship hovered there, then Z shifted it again, and we were flying into the normal Aruvis's atmosphere. Everything was a blur after that, of hanging on to the edges of Zerathra's awareness, of coasting through the stars and across the worlds, of once more entering the pristine halls of the Amethyrium. The last image that came to me was of her standing beside a pool of iridescent pink liquid, glowing in a golden vat, tubes running into and out of it. I felt a push from within Zerathra's psyche. I was hurled forward, my view zooming in on the pool, until it too vanished into blackness. I got a feeling of time having passed, though I wasn't sure how long it had been. All I could see around me was a pink-red substance, partially translucent. Within it floated bright yellow particles that seemed to glow like stars, but would occasionally move, either floating past my vision or zipping rapidly around the scene, leaving glimmering trails in their wake. Where was this? What was going on? I floated forward through the watery goo, until suddenly a form came into view. A person, or a person's body. Gangly, covered in slick gray skin, it just floated there in the pink ooze, its eyes closed. It was a hairless thing, its face and features looking half-formed, as smooth as a newborn yet proportioned like an adult. There was a vague recognition just looking at it, and a subtle pull towards it. A screen suddenly popped up, glowing blue, directly to the right of the floating figure. Words and illustrations appeared on its surface. It was a chart. Height, muscle mass, eye color and skin color, hair type, facial features, items on a list. Ranges of numbers next to them. Your new body has been formed, a monadic thought pattern informed me. Please choose physical specifications. Holy scrag, that body was me. Or mine, at least. My next one. A fact that I had been halfway contemplating fully dawned on me then. This is why Demania had been so eager to sacrifice her life for us earlier. Why she had suddenly appeared again as if nothing had happened. So, resurrection was apparently a thing, too. I would have laughed, but at the time I didn't have a mouth to laugh with. We couldn't die. Either it was reincarnation or this. Cloning or whatever it really was. I wondered why the Nyar hadn't told me about it. Well, another item on the list I'd be having a serious chat with Z about when I next saw her in the flesh. But wow, a new body. And I could change things. Could look however I wanted. I began to scan down that list. Under each item there were sliders. Most of them didn't go very far, but I realized that I could make myself up to two feet higher, more or less muscular, change the bone structure around a bit, even add additional features. More options like gender and species, organs, were on the list too but grayed out. Lack of available Atra for other alterations, I was informed. Oh, 
I quickly realized I couldn't just make myself into a 20-foot tall giant with huge wings, though I suppose all that was technically possible. I wondered just how much Atra I'd need at my disposal to do what I saw Gurvath doing back on Arubis. Eh, probably a whole planet's worth. Maybe someday. But for now, these options would have to do. So I made myself a tad bit taller, a touch more muscular, gave my face a more chiseled look, and even touched up my skin to give it a slightly darker, more even shade of gray. Simple stuff. I then changed my hair settings around to make it less frizzy, more wavy, like Z's hair that always fell into place right. My eyes I kept orange, but gave them a slight reddish tint in the corneas. I did have some other features on my list. I opted out of getting a tail. I wasn't quite sure how those would work. I also skipped the vestigial wings, the huge pointy ears, the scaly skin, and a few others. I did decide to give my new body a pair of horns, small, pointy, stylish ones that would peek right out between my hair. I always figured I'd look good with some horns, after all. And now was the chance. I glanced over my new body's features one more time and then mentally clicked the little box at the top of the chart. It immediately collapsed. Around the soon-to-be-kef body, those yellow particles began to spin, surrounding it in a glow of light, zipping into and out of it. Re-embodiment activated. You have acquired a 10,000-point Atra debt, I was informed. Before I could question that, I began to feel my perspective rapidly pulling towards the body which was now surrounded in a wiry cocoon of that vibrant yellow light. I entered the light, and it enveloped me. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space God Memoirs. Space God is written, performed, and produced by A.M. Arctos. Original musical score by Alpha Colors. Various sound effects created by Industrial Strength Records Incorporated. Please support this podcast by following, rating, and sharing on your favorite social media site. For further info on Space God, its creator, and various other opinions, musings, and thoughts, go to www.spacegodmemoirs.com or follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. If you enjoyed the Space God Memoirs, please consider supporting us by becoming a patron check out the Patreon link in our description to learn more.